Hey guys, this is Ralph Macho. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is William Zapka. You're listening to Cobra Kai Companion, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter, and welcome to a bonus and special episode. Um, This video, it's actually a video, uh, it's about Miyagi uh, and his time in service in the 442nd. Um, I do get into his backstory a little bit from what we know from the movies. Uh, This video was edited by Watch Party and available on YouTube. Uh, the script itself is something I have been working on as a character study. And for those that do subscribe to our channel, know that Brianna has uh, two of her own, which we will eventually put um, on this podcast as well. So the video is available. If you are a visual person and want to see some pictures and footage, um, there's some personal pictures of mine that are also included in the, in the video. Watch Party did an amazing job in taking my words and um, kind of making it into like a mini movie. But this project, it was very personal to me. I do talk about why Mr. Miyagi means so much to me. And there is a segment in the middle where I have a conversation uh, with retired Sergeant First Class Sanderson, whom I've served with in the Army, and he breaks down all of Miyagi's medals and uh, awards and kind of gives his opinion on how Mr. Miyagi actually earned those. Uh, That puts in perspective on what he may have gone through um, while fighting with the 442nd. Um, this very much is like a history lesson as well. And again, if you're interested, the video is available on our YouTube channel. So there is no outro for this video. So I'll just kind of end it right here and and uh, play the video. But as always, if you want to carry the conversation, if you have any thoughts on what you heard, you can interact with me on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod or on Instagram at Cobra Kai Companion, Companion spelled with a K. Uh, We have the website, CobraKaiCompanion.com. It has all of our uh, interviews on there, all 82 with cast and crew from the Miyagi-verse, a term coined by our friends over at Are You Karate Kidding Me? And again, we will be ramping up and completing our episode reviews of Season 3 before Season 4 premieres at the end of the year. Where do I begin? A man who we haven't seen since the events in The Next Friday Kid back in 1994. A man whose presence is sincerely missed by his former student and surrogate son, as depicted in Cobra Kai. Even after 36 years, Nariyoshi Miyagi is still very much a mystery. Growing up Asian American and to parents who were immigrants and divorced when I was six, I didn't have my grandparents around very much. I lived with one grandmother as a kid. Her husband at some point became a monk and lived in a temple in a different state. My other grandparents were still together, but also lived in another state. 
That other grandfather served in the military police back in the old country. Maybe that's why I always gravitated to the character Miyagi. He was like a grandfather to me. He wasn't short round. He wasn't Data from Goonies, Long Duck Dong, or any other stereotypical Asian characters in cinema. At least not the way they were portrayed in American cinema. Throughout the Karate Kid series, people have always wondered what was it about Daniel. Many had their speculation. For me, I think he saw a little of himself in the Daniel character. Miyagi clearly doesn't like bullies. But do we know if he himself was bullied? No. But we know that the son of the richest man in his village and him were the best of friends. Miyagi's father worked for Sato's father. How did they meet if they both seemingly came from the opposite sides of the track? What we know is that at some point, they became so close that Miyagi asked his father to teach Sato karate. That was some friendship. For Miyagi to ask his father to go against tradition and train someone outside their lineage? Fast forward to Sato and Miyagi being teenage boys. The lovely Yukie enters the picture. She is arranged to be married to Sato, Miyagi's best friend. But wait for it. It is Yukie and Miyagi who are in love. Feeling betrayed, Sato challenges Miyagi to a fight to the death to which Miyagi refuses. He would rather be called a coward and leave his home, his country, and the woman he loves to avoid hurting his best friend, both physically and emotionally. In the US, Miyagi eventually finds love again and marries. Due to the onset of World War II, they were sent to Manzanar, one of 10 American concentration camps where this one in particular had about upwards of 10,000 Japanese Americans incarcerated within a three-month period after the camp was built. It's around this time Miyagi enlists into the army and serves with the 442nd. I reached out to retired Sergeant First Class Matt Sanderson, whom I served with in Afghanistan, to get his professional opinion on what Miyagi might have gone through. In this conversation, you'll hear Sergeant First Class Sanderson talk about the Medal of Honor, Silver Star, a Bronze Star Medal, Army Accommodation Medal, a Purple Heart with one Bronze Oak Leaf Cluster, a Presidential Unit Citation, an Army Good Conduct Medal, an American Campaign Medal, a European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal with four service stars, a World War II Victory Medal, and a Combat Infantry Badge. So my name is Matthew Scott Sanderson. I was a Sergeant First Class. I retired in the beginning of 2017. I spent 23 years in the Army and served in Afghanistan for 13 months in 2006 and 2007. The Silver Star is the third highest award for valor, and that is for valor. One thing I noticed was when you got down to the Bronze Star, it didn't have the V for valor. So that means it was not a combat award. It was for going above and beyond the work side of things, not in the combat side. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. Same thing with the Army Commendation. You would get a V for valor on one of those two. I mean, you went to Afghanistan. Yes. I was personally recommended for a Bronze Star. Okay. But it, it wasn't for combat. It was for my work. I, I recovered $22 million worth of equipment. So 
I mean, that's the kind of thing you'd be awarded the Bronze Star without the V4. Purple Heart, of course, is wounded in action against an enemy. Uh, he also has an Oakley Cluster, which means he was wounded twice. Yeah, the Purple Heart definitely uh, one bronze oak leaf cluster. So this could have been like uh, like different campaigns as well. It would have been two different situations when he was wounded in action. Uh, I would imagine most generally with the award of the Congressional Medal of Honor comes a Purple Heart and same thing with the Silver Star. So each one of those actions probably could have had a Purple Heart awarded with it. I went down and, and did a study on the 442nd Infantry combat team, and I can go into that a little bit. Sure. During combat, there was only one person awarded the Medal of Honor at the time. That was Sadao Munamori. He was the first one that was uh, awarded the Medal of Honor. In 19 other ones were upgraded, including Daniel K. Inouye, who was the senator from Hawaii. And he was pinned in 2000 by, uh, I believe, Clinton his medal went on him. So, and as well, every one of the other ones would have been done, but it doesn't fit the timeline. That would be the only problem. In in real life, almost all of them, except for one who was posthumously awarded. So it was likely uh, Bill Clinton in their world. Yeah, yeah. But that unit, it was only active for two years. In that two years, the unit and the people in the unit received 18,143 awards, including 21 medals of honor, 52 distinguished service crosses, one distinguished service medal, 560 silver stars, plus 20 oak leaf clusters for a second award. It is the most decorated unit in the United States Army. Oh, that's very interesting. And I mean, this unit alone, they suffered a lot of loss as well in, in their unit. In their unit, over two years, uh, the original unit, um, when they went over, they had 4,000 soldiers. By the end of their two years, they'd gone through 14,000 soldiers. 4,000 men who initially came in April of 43 had to be replaced nearly two and a half times. In total, about 14,000 men served in that unit for the two years that it was active. I mean, you're talking about a unit that 18,000 medals in a combat zone. They had 560 silver stars. The brigade that we were in, the the 41st Infantry Brigade, in the 18 years of perpetual war that we've been in, the 41st Infantry Brigade has seen one silver star. Wow. Wow, that puts in perspective. They have 560 silver stars. We've seen no medals of honor. They've seen 21 medals of honor. Wow, that is crazy. And since they were only active for two years, it's safe to say that, I don't know, perhaps they, he ended his career with this unit, if, if this is the patch that's seen on his, on his Class A blouse? It is safe to say that's the unit he was in combat with. I see. Because he has a few campaign medals. Uh, he does. He has the World War II Victory Medal, which is awarded to anybody who was in the service from 7 December 1941 through 31 December of 1946. Kind of like... Um, the GWAT? Or, or the GWAT, yes, exactly. 
He also has the European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal. That was awarded to anybody in the European theater that saw actual combat. What about the four service stars along with his European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal? So during any given year, there are usually two campaigns. Four campaign stars shows that he was there for just over four years or two years, being every six months, kind of like us with our Southwest Asia Service Medal. We, okay. We each get two service stars. We were there for a year. Okay, so this tracks, actually. This falls in line with the, the two years the 442nd was active. Correct. Okay. And then he had the American Campaign Medal. Anybody who was in World War II that saw combat was awarded that medal. Okay. And he's also a expert combat infantryman? He is a combat infantryman. Okay, just just combat, not not expert. Correct. Uh, anybody who is in combat with an infantry unit as an infantryman that sees armed um, combat against the enemy combatant and uh, can be awarded those. Same thing as the combat action badge that a lot of people see today for people who are non-combat MOSs. But he has definitely seen a lot of combat. More than likely, he's done hand-to-hand combat, close-to-quarters combat with the enemy. Generally, people that are awarded the medals that he's awarded, they would have a lot of combat experience. Right. Things that true PTSD is made of. Actually, I went through and I wrote down what the Army says is required on the Congressional Medal of Honor. You called it the Congressional Medal of Honor. It is a Congressional Medal of Honor because it's uh, an act of Congress to receive that medal. Right. It cannot be done by anybody in the Army. Congress actually has to issue that. And most generally is actually pinned by the President of the United States. Uh, You would earn that from conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of your own life above and beyond the call of duty. To be awarded the Medal of Honor, you have to do some pretty significant things, generally while wounded, unfortunately. But you're looking at more than likely they have gone out on their own to take out a machine gun bunker or two or three probably jumped down in the machine gun bunker and had hand-to-hand combat with two or three people and one, and then taking out the other two machine gun bunkers with the machine gun that they just killed the machine gun crew and taken over, doing stuff like that, jumping onto a, a grenade to save your squad uh, or um, capturing a whole platoon of, of the enemy combatant single-handedly. Those are things that are generally in Congressional Medal Honor citations that you would see. I'd like to thank Sergeant First Class Matthew Sanderson for his time and research into those medals and citations. We don't have any of the specifics of Miyagi's time in service or how he earned those medals. Even the time between him being discharged leading up to the first karate kid is unknown. From my countless watches of that first movie, it is clear that Miyagi has dealt with racism I won't go into it too much, but even the Nisei soldiers at the 442nd faced racism amongst their peers. I go into more details in the episode titled Staff Sergeant Miyagi and the 442nd of our audio podcast. But at some point in Miyagi's life, he gained the skills and the knowledge of being a handyman. Perhaps the lack of jobs he was actually qualified for, but was not given an opportunity for, for whatever reason. 
Maybe it was a way to distance himself from everyone. This man served the country, and while on a tour of duty, lost his wife and unborn child due to complications. Can you imagine his mind frame while away fighting a war, and to still be awarded all of those medals? Continuing his life after serving must have been lonely. Having lived through both the Korean and Vietnam War, can you imagine the looks he got? Or the way he must have been treated because he resembled the quote-unquote enemies of those wars? Maybe that's why he chose the life he chose, content with being Mr. Fix-It. It required little to no interactions with people. It eliminates ever having the bond with a human being that he once had with Sato and with Yukie, and with his late wife. But did he have balance? We don't know. He meets Daniel LaRusso, and at first, he's just like any other kid that moved into the old South Seas apartment complex. But there was something about him. He's a new kid, coming from across the country and seems to meet every end of a fist or foot until he comes home black and blue. Some of those long shots by Avildsen focusing on Miyagi, one in particular following the bike accident. You know, the one where he fell off a cliff. Maybe it wasn't Miyagi feeling sympathy for Daniel. Perhaps it was empathy. He's been there. He's faced bullies. Seeing Daniel reminds him of himself when he was younger. He doesn't make his decision to train Daniel until the encounter with Priest. In my head canon, Miyagi dealt with someone like Priest many times during his time in service. The altercation in the parking lot in the beginning of part 2 tells me some things about Miyagi. Very few things scare him, and that's including Priest. His lack of fear and ability to still defend tells me he's constantly training. He was prepared. Miyagi admits to Daniel that he could have killed Kreese, but why didn't he? He's in a parking lot full of strangers, particularly kids. What would the perception be? And Daniel was there. I feel that Miyagi thought it was more important to set a good example and not be a bad teacher. Going back to Okinawa, we see a side of Miyagi we weren't prepared for. A more vulnerable Miyagi. Back in his hometown and forced to confront his past. All this before and after the passing of his father. How does he keep it together? Being reunited with his first love and finding out that Yukie not only did not end up marrying Sato, but never married because of her love for him. You would think an old man would get soft. Enter Chosen Taguchi. The only character to strike Miyagi who had a disadvantage having his back turned. But throughout the series, continues to take on multiple opponents at once and is victorious every time. The unassuming little Japanese man with jokes. A badass? Everyone has their own way to cope with emotions. And what better way than to disguise the pain than with humor? I, for one, would welcome a backstory before he meets Daniel LaRusso. His struggle is trying to live the American dream. Was there anyone else? A loved one he was too scared to get close to? Another neighborhood teen who might have needed some guidance and could have used some Miyagi wisdom? Hopefully someday, the mystery would come to an end and we can understand the man behind the unorthodox training methods. And maybe then, we can understand more the mind of a soldier.